The following is presented by Lanier Technical College, Concept One Pulley Systems, and Year One Classic Muscle Car Restoration Parts. Hit it! Hang on, you're now part of the fastest podcast on the planet, Bud's Garage Overdrive. Produced in the studios of Jacobs Media, located in beautiful downtown Gainesville, Georgia. On today's show, General Motors invests heavily into internal combustion engines. Independent shops and OEMs reach a nationwide agreement, plus training to be an automotive technician and more nationwide snacks. And our special guest character actor Tim Phillips as the bandit. Informative automotive buffoonery with Bud and Tim. Let's kick it in overdrive. Welcome in, folks. This is Bud Hughes, resident car nut, and Timothy Pasquale, upholstered to the stars. Tim, what have you been up to this weekend? Oh, you know, the past usual weekend. Mowing. <laughs> mowing. <laughs> mowing. That's all I do now. Is that all you I do? I just mow. You pasture. Just, mow the pasture. Mow the pasture. Yeah. How's the lawn doing? It's good. It's good. Things the, are coming right along. I thought the sheep were eating the lawn and. and no, no, no. Not no the goats won't them. eat grass. They'll only eat flowers and shrubs. Oh, <laughs> so all the stuff that the Jody's planting, they're eating. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're out running around mm-hmm. on, the, on the tractor. Yeah, that's what we, uh, we have the garden is for the chickens and the goats to eat out <laughs> yeah. of. We don't get any of it. <laughs> hey, we're having a ball, though, homesteading. Oh, that's good. That's good. On the Pascarosa. No, that's the wrong. That, that was the wrong one. The Pascal. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, was, yeah that, that was it. That was it. Was, was that the right one? I yeah, got the, the name wrong. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Whoever who did that to him? Alkeola. Alkeola. A L, capital C A I O L A. Alkeola. Wow, that you knew that. How does he come up with this stuff? I just there are lyrics, by the way. No. Oh no. For the Ponderosa thing. Yes. What was Fact, that show the called? The Four Cartwrights sang it on a record uh, album. What was that? What was show, the show what called? What was that show called? All I it's called is, it was called Bonanza on the network. Oh, Bonanza. Bonanza. The reruns they called it Ponderosa, so oh, that oh. people wouldn't confuse that with what was running oh, in the network slot. Right. How do how do you how do you come up with all this stuff? It's my job. You're man. amazing. You know what's amazing is that you do this on a weekly basis uh, as a side gig. Tell us a little bit about it before we get get in the car world here. Well, thank you, Bud. Yeah, I, I uh, am the program coordinator for DJ Trivia. We are nationwide, locally in Gainesville. I host games in uh, the Northeast Georgia area, but find out times and locations, djtrivia.com. It's free to play and a lot of fun, family-friendly as well. Hmm. Okay, that's wow, that's great information. You know what I found out this week? Hmm. That I didn't have to tear apart the fan out on my deck. You know, I got one of those pergola things you know, uh-huh. out on the deck. Right. And it's got a lifetime warranty, you know, fan, mm-hmm. uh, electric fan that's remote control. Well, the thing quit working. Of course. So, it didn't say whose lifetime. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this takes me back to the day that I, I tore my go-kart apart when I was a kid because uh, it quit running and uh, I'd run it out of gas. Okay. So here here I was, you know, I'm, I'm going to tear the fan apart. And I get to thinking... Maybe, just maybe, it's the remote control. Mm-hmm. So Jan says, well, I'll order some batteries on Amazon. And looks fine. So she's order- she orders these little batteries that are half the size of a double-A battery. Okay. Okay. And uh, that's what they look like, half the size of a triple-A, triple-A, little what small ones. What are they called? Ones. Quadruple? Four, four bucks or something like that. I don't know what they call them, but I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. They have a code name. Mm-hmm. Right? So I put one in the, and it doesn't work. So... I'm, I'm, 
you know, I'm going right, to take this thing apart. I don't have the book when I put it up to remember what sequence I did, but I'll take it apart. So just before I turned the screwdriver to take the thing apart, you know, get the globe off of it and all that junk, I'm thinking, I wonder if there's something wrong with this battery. Mm-hmm. So I trot myself out to the shop, and I get a voltmeter out. And I'm looking at the battery, and it says on the battery that it's 12 volt. And it's half the size of a AAA battery. I'm thinking, this can't be right. So I tested with the voltmeter. It's got a half a volt in it. Uh-huh. So I look at the controller, and it says on the controller that that's a 12-volt battery. And I'm thinking, really? So I run out to the store mm-hmm. and buy a 23A battery, which is what this thing is. Okay. Bring it home, test the voltage. It's 14 volts. Mm-hmm. Put it in the controller, and away we go. Wow. Fan was working great. Were you disappointed, bud, that you didn't get to take the fan apart? No, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. Okay. <laughs> but what I was thinking was, I wonder how old these batteries were. We bought a pack of them. Mm-hmm. And it, this is such a, to me, this, this represents what could be a scheme. You buy a bunch of brand new, outdated exactly. batteries. Exactly. And, right. you know, people pay four bucks for a couple of them. They're not going <laughs> to, they're just going <laughs> to throw the four dollars away. You know, we buy a pack of a hundred batteries, and that's the same thing. And, and, of course, my father was even better. He would, uh, when he took the old batteries out, he'd put them in a drawer. <laughs> and before he'd ever put a new battery out of a pack into a device, he would have to test a handful of the ones out of the drawer just to see if maybe one of them had a little juice in it. Callaway Cars founder, Reeves Callaway, has uh, passed away. Um, he apparently uh, had a fall at home and suffered injuries and passed away from that. But I did not realize uh, that he was the son of... Eli Callaway Jr., the founder of Callaway Golf. Now, I knew about Callaway cars and Callaway Corvettes and all that. Oh, yeah. Uh, great mind. He started doing this in his garage. And, uh, you know, his first headquarters was where he was living in Old Lyme, Connecticut. And over the next uh, few decades, he would modify BMWs, Alfa Romeros, Aston Martin, Land Rovers, and General Motors products. Mm-hmm. So he got pretty tight with, uh, with General Motors and was known for his Corvettes. Back in 1989, he built a Callaway twin-turbo Corvette known as a Sledgehammer, made 880 horsepower and 770 foot-pounds of torque. Yeah, that's a lot. Back then? Right. You know, using, this was using a... Uh, LT engine, uh, mm-hmm. the the old LT engines, if you would, um, the LT ones that were in the C4 Corvettes. Uh, this was a variation of it with twin turbos on it. But it set a production top speed of 254.76 miles an hour, and that record stood for 21 years. Wow. Until Bugatti uh, managed to hit 267.85 in their Viron Sport, uh, Super Sport. I wonder where he ever found a set of tires that were rated for 254 miles an hour, or he didn't. And just well, I, I would think he probably hooked up, uh, you know, through General Motors, probably hooked up with uh, uh, whatever tire manufacturer, right. and they, they had something. But, yeah, and that's, you know, that was back in the day. That's uh, His son still runs a company, Peter Reeves now, um, and they're still uh, customizing Corvettes, Camaros, Silverados, Suburbans, Tahoes. Sierras, Yukons, and Escalades. So he's uh, 
He's going to be missed. Yes, he will. Uh, definitely a pioneer in what he was doing, for Boy, sure. Boy, don't you know it. Tim, earlier in the week, I got a chance to visit with Mark Wetesco. He's the automotive instructor at the Dawsonville campus. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things I asked him was what was his experience, you know, transitioning from being a tech to being a teacher. Oh. I've been an ASC Master Tech since I was about 23, 24, so a long time ago. Um, I was in the military for a few years as a light wheel vehicle mechanic. Mm -hmm. uh, I actually started working on cars when I was 16, a little shop down in Lithonia, Georgia, and uh, took a took some classes for automotive repair and just started reading books and getting more and more knowledge and and um the rest is history the rest right? is history the rest is history yes. how long have you been teaching at the uh, campus in dawsonville this is my fifth year fifth year yes i know your experience in working on cars and my experience with working on cars it's kind of you in the car but once you get into the classroom, what, what's that experience been like for you being in front of a younger generation, if you will, and different cars and stuff than we grew up with and worked on eventually or, you know, uh, along the way? Uh, how's that whole experience been for you? Uh, there's a couple of feelings. Uh, one, it's fun. Uh, two, it's, uh, <clears throat> it's a little different uh, speaking in front of a class instead of just being in front of a car that car didn't talk to me mm -hmm. so um but uh it is it is fun to uh to um interact with these younger students and teaching them a profession that i grew up with and that i've loved all my life and so it, 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 it's, it's been great passing I mean, on the knowledge yes passing on knowledge is, is fun when you see the light bulb come on over the students what what's that feeling like for oh it you? feels good it feels it feels way better to give than it does to take. Let's say that. Okay. So, so, so to give something back to a student, um, it feels a lot better. And at some point in time, these guys are going to be working on stuff and exactly. remember, remember who taught them that stuff. And yes. so it, it, you know, it, it just carries on and on and on and, uh, you know, gets passed on to the next generation. Do your, do you prepare your students for ASC certification or, or let's let's back up a little bit and talk about what is ASC? You know, I was ASC certified, you're ASC certified. What you know, what is that all about, that organization? What's well, automotive service excellence? Um, they they teach uh, or the, the the tests are like in brakes, electrical, uh, HVAC or heating and air, uh, engine repair, engine performance. Automatic transmission, manual transmission. I'm sure I've left something out, um, but it's it's the study, it's the theory, it's uh, repairing those systems. So you 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 have to take a written test, and you is there also you also have to have the hands-on experience. So it's not just something you you take a test because you've got to be able to think your way through the questions. But the ASC certification is only a written test. It is not hands-on, but at, but at our school, we do teach the hands-on and also for taking the test, so the knowledge the, for the test. The curriculum is based on the ASC Correct. Uh, organization as such. And that's usually a sign at a shop that's a big white sign, looks like a gear, is that correct? It says yes. ASC certified mechanics. Yes. yes. That's where you want to go. Yes, it is. Uh, what is the present state of auto technicians? I mean, I get, I get calls all the time. How, you know, how do people reach out to you 
and uh, you know get your techs as they're graduating. And what's what's going on nationwide with techs? Well, for one, what's going on nationwide is there is a big vacuum because our older technicians like me are getting out of the business, and there's a big void that needs to be filled with skilled technicians um, because people aren't stopping driving vehicles. I mean, there uh, people are driving them, or I mean, you you you've got um, facilities. Um, like uh, EMC companies, um, that any any business that has a vehicle has to be repaired. So that's not going away. Our, our older technicians are going away, like me, and we need skilled technicians in the in the field. Uh, I I get contacted by email, by phone calls. Every week, I have um, different um, shops that they. They need employees, and so they are getting uh, funneled from our shop. So, what is the, the what is the average wage of these people as they go into the dealerships, and and what is the what is the uh, the wage range? Obviously, there's a starting wage. Where does it go on the other end? Oh, I would say on the low end, it would be in the twenty-five to thirty thousand range, and that is for somebody that's a lube tech or a general service tech. You're doing oil changes, changing tires, changing batteries, uh, bulbs, um, doing some uh, some battery tests, things like that. Um, and then uh, it just goes up from there. It's uh, We have some of our students that whenever they leave, they become a lube tech. We have some, uh, because some shops, they want you to, uh, to learn the process at that dealership or at that shop, and then you move up into a tech. Some of our students there, so advanced, they just go right into being a line tech. And if they and get into the drivability end of it, which is the troubleshooting, and, and that is usually the high end in the yes. dealership, what, what are we talking wage-wise? Oh, easy, um, easy 80000 uh could run into 100000 I know some master techs easily making uh, $40 an hour uh, plus bonuses. Um, and... And even in the lube tech, uh, they have these things called spiffs, which means um, for like this month, if you're selling cabin air filters, um, you get a uh, certain dollar figure for every one that you sell. Um, that is kind of the entry point for vehicles that come into the shop. So you can um, sell like a oil leak diagnostic if you see an oil leak or you see a vehicle that needs tires or um, different things you might fi find wrong with the vehicle, that is the entry point as the vehicle comes into the shop. So. And, and those are the kind of things you're teaching. You're teaching when, you, when a student has a car up in the air. The, you, you may be repairing something, but you're looking at everything yes. on the car. You, yeah. Yes, you need to be looking at everything because uh, the customer doesn't know everything that the vehicle needs. I mean, uh, they may come in with a complaint, but then you see, well, your tires are getting very low. They're, they're getting dangerous. You could hydroplane. Oh, well, I didn't know that. Well, thank you for telling me. Sure. You know, yeah. and, and then uh, then you can give them a price for it and all. So, how long does your program take from start to graduation? It typically, if you get a a, a two-year diploma or associate's degree, it's going to take you two years. Two years, okay. Um, how can folks learn more? Well, let me let me back up here. What is the placement rate of your students? It's got to be over the top. Oh, uh, we're at a hundred percent placement rate. Okay. Um, so. We don't have any problem finding jobs for people. Finding jobs for no. people. That's, no. that's a good thing to know. And that's nationwide, basically. 
Oh know, yes, yeah, oh yes. This, you're running yes, it's not just program. located here. And you can take this education, and you can go anywhere in the United States. You can go to another country. I actually looked at going to to Europe, to uh, and uh, repairing vehicles there, but I couldn't see working on BMWs and <laughs> and uh, and Mercedes all the time. So. Okay. How can, Sorry. <laughs> how can folks learn more about the program at Dawson? It's at the Dawsonville campus and the Winder Barrel campus, correct? Yes. All right. How can they learn more about you it? You can go to the LTC, which is the Lanier Tech College uh, website, and you can get all the information from there. Uh, you welcome people to come and visit with you in the in the shop up in Dawsonville? Oh, yes. Yes, okay. anytime. Um, if, if you go through that point, um, the, the LTC home site, uh, or LTC homepage, they will uh, put you in contact with us, or you can uh, you can email me okay. specifically at M Watesco. That's M W O J T E C Z K O at LanierTech.edu. And that's listed on the website, so it's easy yes. to find. Yes, you can find me on the website. Very good, Mark Watesco. Thanks for taking time with us to uh, be here at Bud's Garage and tell us what you're up to. We appreciate oh, it. Well, thank you for having me. We'll be right back here at Bud's Garage on North Georgia's News Talk, WDUN. Okay, Tim, continuing with nationwide snacks. Let's go to Connecticut. Okay. A-Pizza. A-Pizza. Yeah, that's what this is called. Mm-hmm. And they, it's a crispy, coal-fired, light-on-the-cheese pizza. Yeah. Connecticut's Not, got the best pizza. And they, and they actually have some uh, franchises that are called A-Pizza, you know, right. pizza. Okay. The, the trick is it's thin crust, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, instead of being the thick, gooey stuff. Right. But I didn't know Connecticut was so famous for pizza. Well, it's all those Italians. Okay. All right. New Hampshire, oh. Port City pretzels. Now, these pretzels are in different flavors. Yeah. Because I remember Bill saying, was it, Bill, were you saying Pennsylvania was a pretzel place? Because of the Pennsylvania Dutch, yeah. Oh, right. Oh, okay. All right. So, I had... New Hampshire, these popular pretzels come in four flavors, cinnamon sugar, fiesti hot, tangy mustard and honey, and tasty ranch dill. Okay. So these are flavor-infused, mm-hmm. big, soft pretzels. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Now I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Rhode Island, calamari. Calamari, you wouldn't think that is a snack, would you, so much? You'd think it would be, well, I guess if it's deep-fried. Yeah, but... Calamaro means squid, mm-hmm. yeah. so it's not it's not uh, commonly confused with octopus. It is squid, mm-hmm. and it comes deep fried, sautéed in garlic butter, and paired with hot peppers. Oh yeah, mm. Mm. that sounds good. All right, time for. A I snack. don't know how how that would be as a road snack though. Yeah, <laughs> I guess you could bean the driver next to you with one of them if they, you know, road rage incident. Yeah, yeah, you're right, calamari, calamari on, the, on the road. Yeah. Mm. I, hadn't, I hadn't thought about that when you said that. Well, everything is related to on the road. This is Bud's Garage. Well, I guess so. <laughs> right. Did Sorry. that with it leave squid marks? Ah, squid marks! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bill. Hey, oh, you got to stop. Help. <laughs> help us, help us, help us. Well, this week's guest was a former high school student of mine, and uh, lo and behold, he grew up looking just like Burt Reynolds, Travels the country doing charity shows as a young Bert with the permission of the family. And uh, he's just a great guy, uh, great sense of morals and uh, how things used to be in the old days. And uh, just, a, just a lot of fun to be around. 
Tim Phillips, welcome into Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. This is way cool to have you here today in costume. Right. Man, it's like, it's like I'm interviewing uh, Burt Reynolds here. This is there so cool. Go. All right. You've been on the show a million times, you know, as you were pro- promoing events and stuff that you do as Burt Reynolds lookalike and right. your cast of characters. But how did this all start for you? How did the car thing So I want to do a parallel kind of thing. How did the wow. car thing start and then how, how far you want to go back? Because really it started for me as a kid, and I think we grew up in the best time to ever grow up compared to what the kids grow up into today is every time I turned the TV on, there was a car jumping something. Or, you know, we had the uh, Fall Guy with the Fall Guy truck. We had Knight Rider with the Trans Am jumping. We had Mark General Castle Lee. and McCormick. I mean, yeah, Starsky yeah. and Hutch. I mean, every time you turned a car, uh, the TV on, you had a really cool chase scene. Cars were everywhere. People were having fun. It was just a, a great time as a kid to grow up. I, I look back now and I'm like, man. These kids are really missing out on a lot of fun. You turn the TV on now, what do you got? The Kardashians or something? I don't, I don't, I don't, do you guys really even watch TV anymore? It's no, just, no. It's, there's nothing really on that's uh, family fun and, and just all around good fun shows. And I mean, the Rockford Files even made a station wagon look cool. Right, right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it all started as a kid, just growing up and watching these shows and envying, uh, Burt Reynolds and John Schneider jumping at General Lee and, and all the uh, shenanigans that went on with the shows. And at the end, everybody was always happy and things just, you know, worked out. You know, the bad guys always got caught. The heroes always won. So you don't have a lot of heroes to look no, at on TV that's, anymore. That's for sure. And a lot of them are passing away now. And it's sad to see uh, some of our uh, heroes go go away from us because I don't think we can replace them with what we got going on. Not with what, what the way things are now. Now, I first met you as your auto mechanic shop teacher way back when at a place called East Hall High School in, yep. in Georgia. And uh, was that when you first got into cars or had it started before then? Because I know your dad was building cars too. Uh, my dad actually raced cars. So I used to, before I actually owned a car, I used to groove his dirt track tires for uh Lanier raceway okay so uh i'd be out there with a grooving gun helping him groove a new set of tires to uh race that weekend so basically speed and and cars were in my blood from from the t you know everywhere i went you know like i said you could turn on the tv it was cars every saturday it was racing so how old were you when you started helping your dad with the race car probably around 10 okay yeah, yeah. started uh you know at least helping with you know hold this or hand me this or yeah sure you know learning learning wrenches learning what you know sockets were and every stuff like that half inch was you know our favorite back then so (laughs) (laughs) it's like the 10 millimeter today right but uh you know you cut the plastic noses that go on those camaros i remember helping them cut bodies off of a what would now be classic car 70 camaros and stuff to put them on race cars we probably destroyed three or four of those nice camaros back then just to cut the body off to put on a race car so uh yeah it started then and going to the racetrack and it, you know that just gets in your blood and so of course my first Camaro, uh, car was a 76 camaro that uh 
uh, you you worked on more than the, we had a shop car but we just worked on my car instead because the shop car basically just gathered dust because every week there was something going on with my car and oh yeah fixed. yeah <laughs> whether it was the power steering fluid or the radiator being flushed and then the water pump went out and then valve huh. cover gaskets leaking and the transmission seals leaking i mean i i remember we we pretty much built that car that year but tell us tell us the story about bringing that car home because that's an adventure for all of us the first time somebody tows us you know, as a kid, right. uh, tell us about the adventure of going and getting that car Basically, and bringing it home. Basically, I didn't know how to drive, just like, if, you, you know, and, and back then, parents did you just like, um, you know, when you didn't know how to swim, they just said, oh, you don't know how to swim, well, here you go, and they would just throw you <laughs> in the freaking water. You, you learned, yeah. you know what I mean? So that's exactly what happened. Uh, we went to Oakwood Auto Auction, and um, Camaro went through, and I'd, I'd worked at J.D. Martin's drive-in pumping gas and toting out groceries and saved up 800 bucks. And the car went through. We bid it up to like $635 and won the car. So he said, well, you want it now, so uh, could you drive it home? And I said, you've never taught me how to drive. And he goes, it's not bad. He said, steering wheel steers, put it in D's for drive, P's for park, R's for reverse. Gas is on the right, brakes on the left. Got in it, and the steering column was broke. So it's jumping up and down with him. He said, just, he said, just hold it down. You'll be fine. And <laughs> literally, I was just going from yellow line to white line, yellow line to white line, all the way home in it. But, hey, got it home. So, But every 70s car that had a tilt wheel like that, you know, would go bad because the three little bolts up inside the column would come loose, and that thing would just yeah just tilt wherever so you held it down on your on your thighs yeah, basically yeah just hold it you know the down was the <laughs> easiest way to do it because up it's going to come back down you know what i mean so you just hold it down as far as you could and just steer it left and right and and never driving before and and it, he was busy he had a full-time job and he he worked in and then he raced on the weekend so i mean not giving any excuses he should have taught me how to drive but you know he just never came up and then when i wanted a car he said oh yeah, I never taught you how to drive, did I? I was like, no. He goes, well, here, here's your crash course. I get it home. You crash course? You know, there wasn't no, there wasn't a, there was no way he was hiring a wrecker or, or doing anything a flat else. Bed you know, or or anything a flat like bed, you know. Luckily, yeah, luckily it wasn't was, a crash course. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if a lot of you guys had dads like this, but he was the dad that would pull into the gas station and get $2 worth of gas. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, just fill it up, dad. And he never would. He would $2 and he'd go all day and then. Next day, two dollars. He just felt like uh, I was like, man, just fill it up. But, he wanted to stop at the gas station and visit a little uh, bit. Maybe I don't know. But, but that that him doing that actually led to your first real paying gig. Right, right. Huh. Uh, he, uh, like I said, he he. We built the Trans Am, and uh, well, actually, we'll fast forward. Uh, we started working on a um, the Camaro, then. Sold the Camaro and bought a uh, Greg Sims old 82 Firebird. It was a Knight Rider type car. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was yeah. my actual first Trans Am. He had it, and it was black, and we painted it red, and that was the first Trans Am I had. But he helped me get that one. He took it down to Pope Chevrolet, and we put a new motor in it and stuff like that because Greg had already tore that one all the heck. And uh, that was actually my first Trans Am. But later on, I didn't get the Bandit car until after I got married. So how did the... D- the bandit car did you get it because it was the bandit car you you never had any of the rest of this in mind when you got the bandit car no like i said i was a a fan of all those shows back then i never was a you know a, a fan of just one show it was always either smoking the bandit dukes of hazard knight rider fall guy 
and uh, each show brought you know this own little thing but it's basically the same script over and over and um, when I got married uh, my dad had a 32 sedan that he was going to car shows with and my uncle had a 32 coupe and my other uncle had a 31 coupe and they were going to car shows and after married life for about four or five years I was looking for something to get into and started going to car shows with them actually went to year one a couple times mm -hmm. and then um, I came back home and I said heck I said, I, uh, I think I want to build a car. I think I want to build a muscle car and start going to car shows with my dad. And she said, I think that'd be a great idea. We had, we had just gotten pregnant, and she was having our first child, which now is 20 years old. But uh, so we were trying to figure out what I should build. And I always liked the Camaro, and it was my first car. So I said, I think I'll do a Camaro. And she said, okay, that's fine. And I said, either that or a Chevelle or something. And then the movie was on TV while I was kind of searching on the interweb there for a car. <clears throat> and uh, she comes through and she goes, that's what you need right there. And I said, what? She said, the Trans Am. She said, you've always reminded me of Burt Reynolds. She said, that uh, laugh and that look and that, that uh, flirting, stuff like that. She said, you don't remember when you pulled in my driveway and told me to come outside that you was looking good and you, and you need to go on a date with you? <laughs> And I said, oh, God, I forgot all about that. She said, she said well, I guess it worked. But, yeah, uh, sounds and, like it. And so uh, she said, you are Burt Reynolds. You need to build the Trans Am. And I went, okay. I'll, you know, I always thought the car if was I very must, cool. Yeah, 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 I always yeah. thought the car was pretty cool. So I actually found one over at Holsey's Auto Parts at the house right next to Holsey's Auto Parts. And um, talked the lady out of it. And uh, her husband had passed away. And she said she wasn't going to do anything with it. And if I was going to fix it up, that she'd let me have it. So uh, I I bought it for her for 1200 bucks. Wow. Went home, put some mystery oil in the motor, wow. and it was running and driving before I knew it, doing burnouts, and then we fixed it up, painted it, and took it to year one. And um, that's when it all started with the Burt stuff. Wow. Yeah. Just just from doing that car. Now, what engine and stuff was in it? Was it, a, was it an original Trans Am? Yes, it was an actual special edition Bandit Trans Am. Okay. There, okay. there was actually the, the actual... Trans Am that Burt drove was a special edition, so it was a Y82 special edition coded, so kind of like a SS, so it was an actual special car. It wasn't just a regular standard Trans Am. So uh, you, to have that car, you had to get it, uh, you had to have the Y82 to have the actual one that he, wrote, he drove in the movie. I didn't find that out until I started looking for a Trans Am. I thought it was just a black Trans Am, but no, it's actually a special edition that he drove. So that one, uh, I was worried. It looked like the one from the movie, but then I never ran any numbers on it. Mm -hmm. And so you can go to Pontiac Historical Society and run numbers on a car. And so I went there after I'd already fixed the car. So fingers crossed, I was like, God, come back and be a special edition. And so uh, I was so thrilled when the paperwork came back and it said Y82 special edition. And I said, man, you did find a real one. Wow. So, uh, wow. That was the real deal. What and was the engine in those cars back in the day? That was a Pontiac 400. 400, okay. And it was a higher output one W72 coated motor. So yeah, they did. Uh, and they put different they, heads in. They had an L78, yeah. which was a whopping 185 horse, <laughs> and a W72, which was 220 horse. Wow. But Pontiac did a thing with the uh, the gearing on them and stuff like that, so the transmission in the rear end. So they had the torque of you know a really fast car. They'd take off, but you good for burnouts. Yeah, good for burnouts and stuff like that. But uh, they long gone was the uh, 455 Super Duties and stuff like that from '74 and '75, or '73 and '74. So 
you uh you pretty much wanted to build them if you wanted to make some real horsepower the one i have now has been rebuilt it's got 355 horsepower which is do plenty. you still have the the original one you bought from that lady i do not so uh i wore that car out and uh doing hot rod tv and doing uh laps at road atlanta for another tv show and i was out of gas one day and the racetrack said you can just use ours but the lowest they have was 106 octane <clears throat> yeah <laughs> so i put that 106 filled it up with 106 octane took it out on the track and it was the best the car ever run until it didn't run no more so but uh anyway it needed rebuilt and everything and by this time uh life had happened and we had hit 2008 2009 which was, everybody knows what happened then sure yeah. Every, everything went to uh financial crisis and a lot of people lost their jobs me included so uh, a guy came comes by and he says uh would you want to sell me that car at that time i had twelve thousand dollars in that car and it didn't run and so because uh, i did all the work myself and he offered uh offered me uh twenty two thousand dollars for it which was great because i knew i was losing my job right and so i talked to my dad about it i said hey we built this car what do you think and he said well, if he's offering you $22,000, he said, I would rip his arm off. And I said, he said, we can build another one in the future. And I went, okay. So I go down to to uh, take the deal, and my wife says, you're not selling the car. She says, you know, it's got too much behind it. You, you're not selling that car. So I went and told him, I said, the wife said I couldn't sell it. And he said, well, I'll go to 24000 So then I was like, wow. And so... I go back in, talk to her again. I said, hey, he said 24000 She said, I told you, you're not selling it. So I said, okay. Went back down to tell him. And in my mind, what I was going to tell him, she never knows. She, she'll hear, she'll, this is the first time she'll hear this if she watches this. <laughs> but in my mind, I was going to walk down and tell him, hey, just meet me at the store. We can walk to it and, I, and give me the $24,000 and, and then just take the car. And I, I said, once it's gone, I'll make, I'll, I'll come up with something, you know. And uh, and so before I can get to him to tell him this, the scheme I'm trying to do, because I knew we needed the money. She just, she was, she, my wife's a big heart, you know. And it's good because, you know, I'm all the finances and responsibility part of the relationship, and she's all the big heart. So we, we work together as a team. But uh, I go to tell him this before I can get to him. She walks out on the steps and she says. That car is not leaving this yard for less than $30,000. Now, granted, she knows nothing about cars. Sure. She's just popping off a number because she's upset. She doesn't want the car to go, so she figures there's no way. Like I said, back then, though, you could get a really nice Trans Am for $20,000. Yeah. Especially with the economy tanking, you probably could get them less. And so uh, I just laughed when she yelled that and slammed the door and walked back in the house. I just laughed at him and shook his hand and said, it was nice meeting you. And uh, he said, I'll do it. I'll do the 30000 And I said, well, it had to be cash. And he goes, I got it. He pulls out a duff bag cash, and he took the car for 30000 non-running. So wow. that got us uh, paid, paid off a lot of bills, got us back uh, in the you know, black area yeah. and black. And so we were ahead of the game for – I wound up working two full-time jobs. I worked at uh, – uh, count on tools that I'm still at today and here in Gainesville and Hitachi down in Monroe 
Did that for two years, got us back ahead, and built the car that I have now. I said, I'm going to build another car. I said, because I really miss my Trans Am. And so that's where the one we have now. And me and Dad put that car together. So That's good. Now, you, you showed up with this car year one. Mm-hmm. The bandit stuff is going on all over the TV and the movies and all that. Like you say, the, that that particular era. Right. What was the what was the spark that set off the tribute uh, Trans Ams that Year One started building with the LS sevens in them? Was that did that it, all it just, morph from that? It it uh. So when I showed up to Year One, they already had the wheels going that they were going to do a tribute to uh, Smoking the Bandit. At that time, it's going to be the 30th anniversary because it was 2006. Mm-hmm. So by the time they got them made, it would be 2007, which would have been 1977 plus 30, 2007. So uh, 30th anniversary, they came to me and they said, hey, uh, we're looking for some Trans Ams. Do you know anybody that's got any? And I said, actually, I have several ones that I use for parts cars. I said, they're not runners. And he goes, that is perfect. That is what we're looking for because we're going to redo everything on them. So they came by and they uh, bought those cars from me, took them back to the shop. They borrowed my car for a lot of uh, before shots, what the car looks like as an original car. And then they were putting LS motors in them, four-link suspensions, and really modernizing the Trans Am. And later on, they got Burt Reynolds involved and said, hey, you know, we'd love to have you sign off on these and and... I think the deal was they would actually give him a car for for his you know permission to sign off and he would actually autograph the cars so he autographed i don't know how many cars for him at least 10 and then he got one free and he did the show too so they asked me if they could borrow my car to go pick him up at the airport and i said wow i don't know i've never let anybody drive my car and he, they didn't say it was bert they said we're gonna go pick up a special guest and i said well if it's who i think it is is there any way I can be involved? And they said, well, it's a closed set. Nobody can be there. And uh, so we're just going to pick him up and bring him back and film. So I said, well, I'll let you borrow the car. Just, you know, if you can get him to sign the dash, it'd be great. So they said, done deal. So they come got him. I'm sitting at home just, you know. Sweating ner- bullets. Yes, nervous <laughs> Nancy. Knowing that Burt Reynolds is 10 minutes down the road in my car. And they called me at 10 o'clock and. They said, hey, we got him here. We want to let you know everything's going good. We got him here. We're ready to start filming. Would you like to come down? And I said, yeah, boy, yeah, woulda. And they said, yeah, well, come on down. And so I came down and uh, walked over. They introduced me to Bert. And they said, Bert, this is Tim Phillips. He, he sold us the cars we're doing the show with. He's a huge fan. And I said, hey, Bert, I said, thanks a lot for everything you've done. I said, you've got me into Trans Ams. I said, that movie and uh, all the uh, other movies you've done. I said, I enjoy all your stuff. And uh, so we got just talking. Everybody else scattered because when they said it was a closed set, they meant it was a closed set. Everybody else had jobs to do. There was lighting, camera, you know, wiring, uh, everybody else. And then so guess what? Me and Bert's just just like me and you are right now. And I said, well, I'll just stay here with Bert and hang out. So we just shot the... Shot the craft all day, and, and he would hang on to me, and we'd go from scene to scene. And uh, Bud Brunsman, the guy who does overhauling, he noticed that, took a couple of candid shots, and was like, you know, Tim, I swear to God, you look like Bert's son every picture I take. He says, you could be father and son. And I joked and I laughed about it. 
he told me that one more time and I still laughed. And then when we got Bert outside, me and Bert did a scene outside or actually I helped Bert walk outside to my car to do a shot. Bud told Bert that and Bert looked at me and he said, uh, well, Tim, where was you born? I said, Jupiter, Florida, or where was you born? I said, Florida. And he said, ha ha, you could be my son <laughs> with the whole laugh and everything. So it was funny because Bert was from Florida. So took off from there, Bud calls me back uh, and says, would you like to be part of the show? And I said, what do you want me to do? And he says, I want you to sell us the cars. You sold us the cars. He said, just sell the cars on the show. And, another, and then so I did the show with him. And then he says, I've got a show called Hot Rod TV and Hot Rod Magazine. If you will get the red shirt and the cowboy hat, he said, I'll put you on both of those. He said, I, he said that's how much I believe you, you favor Burt Reynolds. And I said, okay, I'll give it a shot. See, you know. So that's where the whole lookalike stuff started. How, how, how old was Burt at this point in time? He was 71. 71? Mm-hmm. Did he notice the, the look that you look like a younger version of him, or I, did he not want to go no, I don't, I don't. I At that time, I don't think I had a goatee. And, and you, you had to, I, I, don't, I don't even think I looked like him that much back then. I, Bud saw it, but Brunsman, but I, I wasn't trying. You know, I had a, t I had a smoking van T-shirt on, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, I had yeah. a, it didn't have a cowboy hat on. So in the pictures you see of me and Bert on doing those stuff, I, I wasn't really trying. I mean, other than, you know, the eyes and the tan, I guess, I probably, he probably thought I was just a regular fan, just like anybody else. But well, it was after I shaved the goatee, lost a little bit of the weight, put the red shirt on, the cowboy hat and everything, that it kind of coming all together and started saying, oh, wow, this kind of is freaky. <laughs> so Bert was, was traveling around with this Trans Am. Right. Doing shows to to uh, publicize the Trans Am build. Let, let's go back a little bit. Yeah. What did they do besides the four Lincoln stuff? They did some real subtle touches to the, the, the Trans Am that are out of the modern car era. Tell us a few of the other things they did on the on the car. Well, the, some of the coolest things they did was they flush mounted the uh, glass. Yeah, so that was that was awesome. The rear yeah. glass. Yeah. So they did they take the drip rails off the car or not? I don't think they did. Uh, I don't know if they took the drip rail off the. The uh, I don't know if they even had had they even have drip rails on back then. Yeah, that, but that the, the flush mount smooth. glass was cool. The flush mounted glass. They took all the spoilers and flushed all those where you didn't have all that welting and stuff. What they called it back in in between there. It yeah, always kind of kind of looked kind of ugly. Yeah. yeah, well, it just never fit right and stuff like that. So did they, they put really a, just did they put a uh, did they put a fiberglass nose on it instead of that rubber glass. goofy thing? Yeah, the rubber nose that always wrinkled after heat and stuff like that. They redid that with a nice fiberglass look. The European headlights set it off really well, mm -hmm. you know, instead of the old uh, halogen stuff like that. And, you know, the uh, suspension and the, the best thing that they've done, and they still sell these days, and they can't keep them in stock, they sell them as the wheels. You know, they've redone the, the snowflake wheel into an 18-inch and a 20-inch yeah. and, and made them wider. And, and, you know, so you put a little low-profile tire on there and just... Man, it just sets the, the look of the stance of the Trans Am. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So sexy. So, yeah. you know, it's a sexy car anyway. And then you go ahead and add all that to it. It just really Well, you get that off. gap between the fenders and the wheels eliminated and, and, you know, how you know fatten to, that tire up. Yeah, yeah, basically how Hot Wheels used to do the cars when you'd, you'd yeah. buy them at the store. Yeah, they would fill them up with big, big yeah. wheels and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, they did a lot of really neat things. Uh, they uh, added all the digital stuff inside. you got the USB. you got the touch screen. And all the creature comforts, you know, nice vintage air and stuff that 
the older cars, you know, can't compete with. Now, the, the first Trans Am that I think it was the first Trans Am that I, that I saw you in, whether it was the your original one or the second one or whatever, I, I was at a fast food restaurant and saw the car, obviously, and I walked by, and I didn't know you were in the restaurant. I go in the restaurant, and you and your wife are there. But it had the, it had the CB radio in it with the old wire, whatever you call it, that old flat stuff that you'd put air conditioning ducts and stuff up and a, you know, and, and a couple of sheet metal screws holding it onto the, the console and that. Was yeah. that all from the movie? Is yeah, that how that was done? Yeah. So I had to study that to get that fit in there just like they done. Hal Needham was a uh, wizard at this kind of stuff. I don't know how he had time to pick out the little details he did. When you go back to watch these movies, he uh, the flashy stuff and the neat stuff that he did, you know, he always did the, uh, everybody got a belt buckle or, you know, wearing, everybody's wearing cool belt buckles. You just have to notice these little details right, and yeah. stuff like that uh, with the side of the, 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 the trailer. I'm like, where did he come up with that mural and decided mm-hmm. to do that for that movie? And then he picked the, the coolest, flashiest car. But, you know, then he's got the uh, Pace CB in there with the 166 and he's got the Pace scanner. And to get those to fit, you actually had to cut the uh, console out to mm-hmm. make them both fit in there. So that's what I, I learned later on to get both those. So I, I bought both of those and I couldn't get them to fit. And I had to go back and watch the movie and keep looking. And I finally noticed that they had cut the console to get both of those to fit in there. So, you know, little cool details like that. Later on, I actually, you know, got Bert to sign off on it and actually sign the top of it and stuff like that. But it, it all works. It adds to the uh, nostalgia of the car and the time. Yeah, authenticity. Yeah, that, that 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 is cool. When did you start traveling with Bert and doing, you know, doing the shows with the Trans Am, and why? All right. So started uh, like I said, 2008, 2009. Everything kind of went down. I worked at two jobs for a while. About 2000, I think it was probably around 2012, 2013. Bert was getting a little older. He wasn't doing movies as much anymore. And a buddy of mine, Gene Kennedy, he uh, he met Bert in uh, Lakewood, Florida, at a car show. And he just he was just he was there just for a quick appearance. He wasn't scheduled to be like a big main event or anything. So he's actually in line as a fan, just like me, and has a glove box to get signed. And he talks to the uh, handler, Bert's handler, and you know how's things going. And she says, oh, you know, he's doing these uh, book signings. That's what it was, a book signing, stuff like that. And it, what, what was the book that he'd written? Uh, Enough About Me. Oh, okay. What's the name of that book? So he said, out of curiosity, what's he get, you know, to do these book signings and stuff like that? And she said, oh, around $10,000 or something like that. So he said, I, he said he's missing a, a big market here with car people. He said, yeah, I could... I could double that, even maybe even triple that, if you'd let me do car shows with him and stuff. And she says, "Well, give me your number." Well, she, she, she never called. He said he finally called her back several times. She he seen that she was, she seen that he was really interested in helping Bert, and he donated a, a lot of his own cars and his own time to get Bert into the car show stuff. So Bert uh, started doing the car shows. And the first car show, you know, Bert was by this time late 70s, mm-hmm. you know, 78, somewhere along there. So he, uh, you know, he didn't like the bandit character anymore. And a lot of people still 
they think their celebrities should stay the same look yeah, yeah. forever. <laughs> but um, I think he took them to a car show, and a lot of the when Burt came out, it took like four hours or something. Everybody waited in line. When Burt came out, they all kind of like had that sad, oh wow, he he's gotten older, you know, and it, the 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 pity, you know, sad face on him, stuff like that. And as of course they had stood in line for a while too. So uh, Bert was kind of upset, you know, having the ego like that. Everybody was kind of sad when he walked out because, you know, he was, he was older Bert. But, so Gene, uh, you know, asked me if I wanted to come to the shows, help out, and, look, you know, dress up like the Bandit because he had seen the stuff I had done in the past and I had met him in several Bandit runs. And so I came out with Gene and, and dressed up like the Bandit and everybody was excited. We had a lot of fun. We took a lot of pictures and... And I uh, had the crowd pretty much pumped up by the time Bert came out. And then it, it just seemed like it just worked better. You know, when the, when he came out, everybody was happy. They weren't just standing there all day. I don't know if it was just the standing there or Bert just being not, you know, being older or what, but it just worked much better. So we just started doing that and then uh, started uh, driving the car for him and doing little reenactment scenes and stunts and stuff like that. And it worked out. Or Dr. Gray, I think it was a good marriage between both of us. He, he, uh, I don't think he really cared for somebody else looking like Bert as much as uh, uh, he wanted to be that person again, you see. And, but he, he understood that I was there to help him and to help the, the fans. And So there was no animosity or anything? He just, you know, figured it was part of the deal? Right, right. He, he, he understood. He, 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 he pulled me to the side and he said, Man, I, I wished I, I still looked like you, Tim. And I'd look at him and say, Bert, you... You're the legend, buddy. I'm just here to help you out and keep your memory alive like I'm still doing today. So, uh, Imitation know. is the sincerest form of flattery. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I should mention that our, our, our third voice in here is not my usual sidekick, Tim DeBasquale. It is Bill Wilson who produces our radio show and this podcast. And you talk about somebody that knows way too much about television shows you got a question you want to ask about an old television show see if you can stump the master sometime during this podcast we'll have fun with that now bert bert and you were doing the shows together and bert and you are starting to hang out more or when did you meet his his wife and go to his house and all that kind of so when did all that wasn't married i met uh i met nancy who was his niece Mm -hmm. and uh so, so we had a couple private gigs were at his house and so of course, rather than rent hotels and stuff like that, Bert had a separate house for guests and, and stuff like that. So I would just stay at the guest house with uh, and do the events with Bert. And that worked out great because you're already there on the on the lot and you ain't got to worry about getting up at a certain time and getting dressed and being here and forgetting anything because everything's right there for you. But we did a couple shows there. And uh, I remember one surreal moment after doing a... Uh, a special uh, VIP event at his house that morning. We had 10 guests come and I was just, all I did was help out with the uh, cars and get them to Bert's house. We would start out at the guest house and I would take them to the uh, Bert's house and he would come out and sign autographs. And then we left there and went to do a show at his um, theater, you know, Bert Reynolds' theater. He still had that going on. He still had the theater going on. He still had acting classes, all that going on at this time. And so, uh, we went there, we did a show there, we actually watched the theater show, and it was probably 10, 10.30, and I haven't called the wife all day. <laughs> and so I've been busy all day long, and I'm actually driving Burt's Trans Am that he owned back then. It was a bandit car. 
back to his house and I call the wife and I say, hey honey, sorry I hadn't called you. I've been so busy. I'm just, I'm just beat. I said, it's been a long day and just want to get Burt's Trans Am back to his house and crash. And she said, I don't know if you know this right now, but you're living every man's dream in the world right now. Saying, yeah, right, yeah. You know, you're driving Burt Reynolds' Trans Am back to his house to crash at his house. And it was a surreal moment for me. And, you know, I basically uh, cherished those times forever, you know, that I actually got to hang out with him and speak with him and joke with him and cut up when he still had the wit, he still had the charm. And when he, he did that laugh, it was, it was still great. So how old was he during this period of time? He was probably about 80. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we worked together probably from around 78 to 82. Did you uh, ever meet? Did you ever meet Lonnie, his his wife? No, I never met Lonnie. Okay. She did come to the to the funeral, but I, I never met her, or talked to her or anything. Uh, from what I hear, she was Bert was not a fan, but her his family liked her pretty well. Okay. So, mm-hmm. you know, only thing I can remember him saying about her was when uh, we did the show together at year one. He stopped by the car, and, and Kevin King said, Bert, you got a second to sign Tim's car? And he said, yeah, sure. He get in, he gets in the car, he signs a dash, and he goes to get out, and he can't get out because he's trying to grab the roof. And, and there's no a roof on the car. car. Yeah. Yeah. It's a T-top car, and he, he does his hand a couple times, and I just grab his hand and pull him out. I said, come on out here, bandit. I pat him on the back, and I said, Bert, I said, I, I could never repay you for what you did. And I said, I, I love it. Really appreciate you signing my car. Is there anything, anything I could do? Just let me know. And he goes, "Oh yeah, you can pay my next due alimony payment, payments to Lonnie." <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know he was still doing that, but you know that was the only time he ever mentioned Lonnie. And after that, I, I said, uh, "I don't think they they ended on great terms." So, well, <laughs> now, that's the way it goes. But tell, tell us a little bit about the. Uh, the deal that he had with Pontiac and the Trans Ams and all that, and, and how that changed as the years went on. Yeah, that was one of the stories he told me at year one. So uh, we were just walking around, and uh, you know, I, I, you know, I sold him ten cars for the show, and and I said, you know, the Pontiac Trans Am's been one of my favorite cars, and that's why I chose it. You included, you know, I said, I told him the story about the movie. And he said, you know, after I did that movie, sales of Trans Am went up 600%. And I 600%? Said, 600%. Wow. And I said, wow. He said, um, he said, the president of Pontiac called me and told me that he was going to give me a Trans Am every year because of the sales going like they did. He's, and so he's man of his word. He said, it wasn't like a couple weeks later I got a new Trans Am. He said I was filming Stroke Race or something else or something, and and um, I gave it to a buddy of mine, and he said next year another one came, and I gave it to Jerry Reed. He said, um, which is I think it's in the museum now, mm-hmm. and then uh, he said um, the next year I said you know what heck with it I'm gonna I'm gonna keep this one, you know, so he waited and it didn't come. He said so. He gave it a little while, still didn't come. He, he thought, well, maybe they sent it to the wrong house. At this time, he had a house in California, a house in Florida, sure, houses yeah. in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And he says, maybe it's just at the, another house or something or whatever. So he said, I called, uh, called Pontiac. He said, after waiting an hour to get to here, to here, to here, to somebody, 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 he said, I finally got to uh, the main gap. And he says, uh, oh, yeah, Mr. Reynolds, he says, I am aware of your situation. I see our invoices. I see we have shipped you 
you know, two Trans Ams, and uh, the deal was that he would give you a Trans Am every year. He goes, yes. He told me, give me a Trans Am every year. I just wondered where it went. He goes, well, the deal was he would give you a Trans Am as long as he was alive. He passed away this year, so. Oh. You'll no longer be getting a Trans Am from Pontiac. <laughs> he said I had to go buy one. <laughs> Did he <laughs> get he a discount? <laughs> but, you know, at least he had the money then. Yeah, right. But, so what year would that have been? Uh, probably 81. 81. When did the, they quit building the Trans Am? 2002 was the last Trans Am model. That's one, one that's sitting out in the driveway right now that I drove. 2002. Through. Yeah, 2002 was the last year of the Trans Am. What do you think and what do you think Bert would have thought of the Trans Ams you can buy now? I think they're a couple hundred thousand, but... They're based on a Camaro. They got the you know the Chevrolet underpinnings and stuff, but they're a pretty cool looking car. Yeah, uh, he actually signed off on those cars. Oh, did he? Yeah. Okay. He's actually autographed seventy seven of them before he passed away. We had a deal with Trans Am Depot uh, Trans out of Tallahassee. Yeah, people, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of Tallahassee, the business with great guys. I've been down there and done several shows with them. Uh, Tom and uh, Todd Woback, mm-hmm. I believe their names, but. Um, yeah, they uh, they uh, got him involved, and he signed off on it. He liked the car. He thought it was a really neat car, and he, he signed 77 of them for him. Did he get one? I don't think he got one of those. No, one of those. That might have been a uh, monetary exchange on that one. Yeah, I would think so. <laughs> All right. So, Bert is, is gone now. Right. Sadly. Yep. I was with him a week before he passed up in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We was doing a show called Bubba Fest. Bubba Fest, mm-hmm. appropriately was, named. Yep, and probably about a week and a half later, he passed away. Was he ill at the time? <sighs> uh, ill as in his temper? Yeah, he no, no, not, no, 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 not. <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he was tired. I think he was tired. I mean, I'm I'm not a doctor or anything, but he was definitely, you know, that's a, that's a lot for somebody who's 82 to do uh, the traveling and stuff. But he was the, and he always did more than he should have when it came to staying longer and. Well, he beat like him up. That. He beat himself up pretty good in the in the stunt stuntman yeah, days he a, too. He was a stunt guy, you know. Yeah. Him and Hal Needham, you know, before Hal Needham started doing most of his stunts, Bert was a stunt guy. You know, you got to realize Bert uh, had been acting since he was 20 years old. He didn't get really uh, famous until he was 41. So right. He was 41 when he filmed Smokey and the Bandit. So around that time is when the the uh, the rocket took off for him fame wise. But um, so for 20 years, he's doing menial jobs, and, and he, he, uh, he said that he was mostly doing stunt work and just falling down a lot. They said, hey, you know, basically a director would be like, hey, get that guy. He, he, he looks good on camera, and he falls down a lot. And so... Oh, okay. So he... <laughs> I could do that. So he, yeah. So he said he did a lot of... looking good, but you know, he's definitely, fall down a lot. He, he, he said he, 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 he later on, he, uh, he talked more and fell less. He knows how he says his acting career went. <laughs> <laughs> More than fell less. Tim, I remember the first time I heard Bert laugh was on The Tonight Show, and he was sitting next to Don Rickles. And when I heard that laugh, I'm like, that so does not fit Bert Reynolds. He's giggled like a little girl. Yeah, he's got a high-pitched... Uh... How long did it take... <laughs> Yeah, how long did it take you to perfect that? Well, well you got it's got you got it's really it takes a little while actually because it is a high pitched laugh. You had to go you, you know it's not like a singer trying to get the right note. You yeah. know, you had to come from Falsetto the diaphragm. Or whatever. Yeah, you yeah, had yeah, to yeah. come from the diaphragm on that. Did he ever talk to you about Johnny Carson because it seemed like every time he was on that show and he was on quite a bit, clearly Johnny liked him. Somehow it always managed to to devolve into a food fight. 
Oh, him and Johnny Carson was just magic on TV back then. Before you, when you could do a, a, a you went on to uh, to night shows and stuff like that. You didn't have to pitch anything. You just went on because you were funny. Yeah. And um, you know, people love seeing you on the show, and so that's Bert hit that. That really, the Tonight Show is actually what got him the movie Deliverance. I don't know if y'all know that. It's so crazy that the uh, director, the you know, person who done Deliverance. Uh, Bert asked him, said, so what movie did you see? Navajo Joe, uh, 100 Rifles. Uh, these are you know, movies that Bert had been Sam, Sam yeah. Whiskey. Which, yeah. which, you know, these are all old westerns. Old westerns, that, yeah. That Bert did back yeah. then. Like I told you, you know, and he said, which movies did you see that made you want to uh, to uh, cast me in Deliverance? He said, i never seen you in any of those movies. He <laughs> said, but I saw you on The Night Show, and I thought you were great. So, uh, you know, you just never... Well, Never people know. forget he was on Gunsmoke for a season or two, too, back in the early days. Right. He uh, he loved Gunsmoke. He said that was, um, you know, that was a, that was his TV uh, intro into movies because during filming Gunsmoke, the uh, people of Gunsmoke, his uh, cast uh, cast characters, his friends that was on there, he said that was the best time it felt like family. He said right. actually filming that show. You can imagine probably filming the Waltons would probably been the same thing back in the day or whatever. Yeah, Everybody yeah. was really good to each Happy other. Happy days, any of those yeah, kind of shows. Yeah. yeah, and so he said it was a great environment. It was it was the best uh, best environment I'd been around acting. And he said, literally, the uh, director walked up to me and says, I, I want you to, to quit the show. And he's like, what? What did I do? And he, he said, you're, you're a movie star. You just don't know it yet. Hmm. You, he said, you could... You're a lead leading man. You need to quit and and start doing movies. So they actually, you know, told him that from there. They worked out pretty good for us. Yeah, I would say so. So, so tell us a little bit about what you do to pay tribute to Bert now, on pretty much a weekly basis, weekend basis. We do a lot of uh, good work for kids. Mm-hmm. A lot of good work for you know for the fans and, charity and stuff, stuff yeah. like that. Charities, you know, we try. Well, I love to have a charity involved because you know we're trying to give back, just like we're trying to give back uh, these characters. So um, you've met Jackie Gleason. We have Sean mm-hmm. Bailey. He's he is a spot on Jackie Gleason when he's got the outfit on. We uh, have Jason Bobbitt now that's joined us who plays Junior, and uh, we go around with a couple other great characters. Um, David Daniels plays Uncle Jesse, spot-on guy. Oh gosh, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, first time I met and, him, I thought, wow. And he's just a, he's just like Uncle Jesse. He's the sweetest guy you ever meet. Got the great temperament. Uh, Rusty Cash does a great boss hog. Um, I've got uh, Sterling Hamilton who does a a, a great Mr. T. Oh so, yeah. And oh so, yeah. So. We're trying to, keep... and then you got John Schneider with you oh, on a lot yeah, of gigs, a lot of times, and he's yeah. the real deal, you know. Yeah, and and John, John uh, is like like I said, he's he he believes in bringing back the old stuff as as much as all of us, and that's why he's had three movies. He's done Stand on It, Poker Run, and Double or Nothing. That I've starred in all three of those movies as the Burt Reynolds character. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, Double Nothing will be out this spring, but you can go to Cineflix or John Snyder Studios and see all that stuff. Those are great little uh, tribute films to the good old days, basically. What are, what are some of the stories you hear from the fans as they, you know, get their pictures taken with you? And, and you know, it's it's kind of like when you're at a car show and, and there's a bunch of people standing around the car and the owner's telling stories about the car and the people are telling their remembrances of, oh, yeah, my dad had one of these or I had one of these, my brother had one. 
What are some of the stories you hear related to the TV shows? Uh, because you're, you're covering the whole genre of that area, you know, Mr. T and the Dukes and, you know, the Bandit. You know, got to be some cool stuff. Uh, you know, every fan has a has their own uh, relating story to to Smoking the Bandit, Burt Reynolds, uh, Dukes of Hazard. You know, something happened to them in their lives and they were ever touched in some way. So everybody has a great story. Uh, one of the better, funnier stories I, I was told was a um, an older guy came to me when I first built a Trans Am, and he says, um, he said, man, this car is still as beautiful as I remember it back in high school. He said, when I was in high school, this is when this car came out. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, that's, that's cool. He said, he said, I'm going to tell you something, Tim. He said, there was a guy there. He was so ugly that the family dog wouldn't play with him. Mm-hmm. He was that ugly. He said, but his parents had money, and they bought him a bandit Trans Am. And he went to school every day in that car, and he left with the car was full of women every day because of the Trans Am. And he, he said, he said uh, I remember it like it was yesterday, and I thought that was one of the funniest stories that the guy was, you know, that ugly that the family dog wouldn't play with him. When he said that, I just laughed. But everybody's got their own little cool stories about the Trans Am and, you know, um, Burt Reynolds and Sally Field and Snowman and, and Jackie Gleason because, you know, all it took all those characters. It was movie magic to put all those together and, and do that with a uh, $4 million budget, and Burt got a million. So, right. So, and a lot of things happened that, you know, Georgia helped out a ton and, it was a good old boys movie that was put together by a bunch of good old boys behind the scene that did a lot of things for not a lot of money. Sure. I think Jerry Reed may have made $60,000, $80,000 to be the snowman. So, yeah. you know, it was one of his first first movies. You bring up something interesting. Sally Fields, now we saw her as the flying nun. Right. I don't know what else she did. Gidget? Oh, she did Gidget. 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 Gidget? Okay. Oh, yeah, you got the there, there you go. Uh, there you go. Uh, he got, what was he, Jerry Reed doing other than, was he doing country music back he was, then? He was a, yeah, he was basically a country music singer. And um, he had done uh, a couple films with Burt. He did um, Gator. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, well, he was a bad guy, and I thought he was great mm-hmm. as a bad guy. Did he pick up on the Smokey and the Bandit franchise when Burt left, or was it the Cannonball Run, or was it both? I know he did. He, I think he was. He in, actually plays the bandit in part three. I thought so. Yeah. Yeah. So, in in the original script, Jerry Reed was going to be the bandit. Oh, really? Instead of Bert. Instead of Bert, right? So the whole the whole thing could have could have been. You don't look totally anything good. like Jerry Reed. You no, would have to do I, some I work. Could, yeah, there you yeah, go. Yeah, I'd have to really get skinny and funny and <laughs> and a lot more sped up to be yeah. Jerry Reed. That's why we can't get a Jerry Reed, or like you know, yeah. too much too much. Uh, preservatives and foods now. Nobody's as skinny as Jerry. <laughs> did Bert ever tell you why he didn't do number three? He said he, he, he actually did. He said he felt like he just got was a little long in the tooth for, for the bandit character. Mm. That's, that's his exact words. He said, I'm, I just felt a little long in the tooth for, maybe he felt he's getting too old to play now, the bandit Now, how many of the movies was Sally in? Because how, how did she get in the first one? Because, you know, Gidget to, to you know, bandit. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's well, the, she had done Sybil since Gidget. I think she established herself as a dramatic actress in the TV movie Sybil. I think Sybil, that was 74. Okay. I, I don't know. Oh, okay. Well, Bert said he had seen her on Gidget, and she thought, why would you think that was, you know, something to, to do this film? But he sent her the script, 
and she said same thing Bert said there's no script and he told her he said doesn't don't worry about it we'll we'll improvise and we'll, we'll have fun and it'll be good you know she took the job she in her words she said he was the number one box office draw at the time and mm-hmm. everybody loved him and she thought well if I can work with Bert maybe put a feather in my hat you know sure you know why not you know if you're gonna try and be the best basketball player in the world when you want to play Michael Jordan so yeah you know it's only going to make you better right so at this time she's trying to be the best actress in the world why not work with who they think the best actress at the time which was Burt Reynolds you know actor. Yeah. actor yeah so um it worked out good and she admits there was a chemistry and between the two of them and and they hit it off pretty good and you know mm-hmm. now she doesn't have anything really nice to say but well, later in life, Bert said she's the one that got away. She was the love of his life. He did feel that way. She was, uh, he was, he, uh, for lack of a politically correct way to put it, he just had too many options and too many things going on back then to be really just settled down with one woman, I think. And sure. He said every time he would ask her, she would be, no, she had a lot going on. And every time she would ask him, he would say no. He said they went back and forth about getting married and stuff several times, and it just never did happen. And finally, they just it just finally fizzled out. But, well, the careers take over. Yeah. yeah. And so you know, he's more time apart. So that uh, that's where that that is with with Bert and Sally. But yeah, they you can they fell in love on TV. You you in that movie you can see it. Sure. So. Sure. You uh, continue to do the the appearances, continue to raise money for great uh, foundations and things like that. Uh, what's next for Tim and the gang? Tim Phillips. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do the Bandit Bash again back in March down at Road Atlanta. So that'll be toward the end of March. So go to banditandbuford.com and you can see all of our schedule. But that'll be the first one, you know, once winter passes, because sure. most, uh, most of our shows are spring, summer, and fall. And we'll be back at Road Atlanta, and we'll have all the characters. We'll have the cars. You'll get to take a lap around the track. It's a really fun event, and that one will benefit Wounded Warriors. So uh, that'll be a fun, fun start of the year. We love to start the year off at Road Atlanta and get the... Uh, that facility just keeps getting... Better and better, better. and better, yeah, they're for doing, sure. They're yeah. doing good. Fox helping out a ton, too, stuff yeah. like that. I was just there at a Toys event, Tot event last weekend there. So I did do Toys for Tot last weekend. Okay. So you were at the the uh, car show before Christmas would have been here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they had a great Toys for Tots event. I took a couple Trans Am toys down there for the kids to try to to keep the Trans Am alive yep, through these future kids, you know there what I mean? Now, now, you think about it, those toys, if that kid loves that car, he's going to remember that now, and maybe he'll do like me and buy the car later on. You never know. <laughs> you know, and then it'll keep the keep it going. Wow, I wonder if there's a little kid out there that's going to grow up to look like you. And that, that'd be great. Take I, it I over. It'll there probably be a kid that looks like Vin Diesel. And we'll keep the, <laughs> they'll do the Fast and Furious conventions every year with a guy that looks like somebody else from those movies. Uh, who knows? Yeah. I tell them every time, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to pass it on, too. So I, all the all the guy, uh, little kids, the boys that come up and take a picture with me and stuff, I say, now make sure you grow a mustache like me when you get older and you can do the same thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well... It's 
it's such a it's such a weird deal how we got to know each other as a, as a teacher and a student and uh you know what you're doing now and and the the fun you're having doing it because i've been to several of the events and everybody at the event is having fun you cannot have fun when the a-team van shows up and all the care yeah I, it was the coolest thing i saw at one of your shows was all the characters went in the back doors you know got around the back of the van they went through the back door and came right. out the side door and there you got the Dukes coming out. You got yeah. the, you know, you got the like 18 the characters, brothers. the Blues Brothers. Elvis. Elvis came out. Yeah. And it's, we actually, lo- so I was, uh, you know, of course, that was me and thinking of the old clown car days when <laughs> yeah. so many clowns would come out of a car. <laughs> yeah, so I yeah. thought, well, you know, we're a bunch of clowns anyway. Right. So, you know, you got to be the do what we do. So if you don't have a, a great personality and a great love for people and, and the outgoing personality, you shouldn't be trying to be a character of any kind. But so I got all the guys together, and I said, let's all uh, pile into the A-Team band and come out like a bunch of clowns. And so when we put it to the A-Team music, man, it just really hit. Yeah, it, worked. Think, it worked. I think it went viral. Yeah. I, I think somebody posted on uh, one of them sites, TikTok or Instagram or something, and it went viral, they said. So it's a fun, fun thing. And me and uh, Buford's got one uh, where we're chasing each other on scooters. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty funny, too, stuff like that. But we have a you know, I have a ton of fun doing this and the smiles it brings and we live in a tough time now where it's hard to smile you know and so it's hard to laugh about ourselves people don't laugh about themselves no more they're got to be politically correct i mean it's just really you just you're i feel like you're i even feel it you go to the malls you go to the grocery store you go everywhere and and you're just so afraid of offending somebody or or you know looking at somebody wrong you're on eggshells everywhere you go now just you don't know you know who you're dealing with or what they're you know where before everybody was just made fun of themselves and joked and cut up and 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 you could just laugh about anything so i miss those days i don't think we're ever getting them back and well, it just keeps going to the to the other way you're going to keep them going for us and we're, we're just proud that you took the time come in and be on the the podcast with us bud's garage overdrive we'll continue to support you any way we can oh man on on podcast radio whatever it takes because uh it's just a treat to have you around and have the the have your attitude and your your uh excitement about this uh because it does take you back for just a little while it takes you back to those simpler times simpler times when people just got along and and they didn't worry about race color creed yeah. where, where you was born yeah. how yeah. much money you had yeah you know how famous you were everybody just you know joked cut up and had a good time well tim phillips continued success in what you're doing uh we'll get you back and get a at least get a, a semi-annual report on on how the year is well, going we'll, as we we'll go we'll come back and we'll talk about the bandit bash and and get everybody updated on times and and how to get tickets to that perfect and stuff like that so i'll be back perfect. before then and we'll talk about some good shows coming up good stuff tim phillips what a Thank treat you, yes. thanks Thank for being here not a problem i always love it tim i've got a question for you yeah now that we've had the founders, designers, machinists, catalog writers, and brothers Randy and Kevin Red on this podcast from Concept One Pulley Systems, do you think people will start to understand what goes into every system they design? Right. It, wow. So much. So much work that they have to do to get this right. So much in research, and they've got the links with the OEMs, so they know about power steering pressures and things like that. Um, you know, Concept One designs and builds fit the finish the components the instructions have all been thought out way before you receive their pulley kits 
And if you have a special situation, Tim, what can you do? Well, you give them a call when you can actually talk to them. Yeah, you're not calling a vendor and being told you have to talk to the manufacturer. They are the manufacturer. Right. Pick up the phone and talk to the folks who can work you through your project. Check out all their products and videos at... C1PulleySystems.com Don't waste your time anywhere else. Okay, Tim, I've got some listener feedback. Oh, wow. Remember, remember the story we did, I don't know, a week or two ago? We've, we actually talked about it quite a while ago, and then it's all been updated, uh-huh. uh, about Robert Downey Jr. Oh, yeah, and the cars Turning classic he's... internal combustion cars into, mm-hmm. into electric vehicles. Electric-powered eco-mods. And then uh, doing a raffle kind of deal to sell Yeah, yeah, them. yeah. Well, we have a listener that doesn't agree with Robert Downey turning classic you know, internal combustion cars into electric-powered eco-rods. Oh, no. No. And uh, all I can say to that is he's not turning one-off cars mm. into eco-rods. Right. There was nothing special about the 67 Corvette that he did. Right. I'm a, aside from it's a 67 vet, but it's not like... Yeah, well, you it's know, not like you can't go out and there. find a 67 yeah. Corvette. And right. the, the short-box Chevy truck... The Volkswagen, the Volkswagen bus might be a little hard to come by, but it wasn't. It wasn't a, a you know, specific, right. you know, serial number or anything like that. So I'm thinking, you know, he's he's still an internal combustion guy. He likes cars. Yeah, he's just taking a different look at it here and a different. He's got the money to do it. Right, and why shouldn't he? You know, like Jay Leno yeah. put a uh, 66 Toronado on a Corvette chassis, yeah. right? On a modified Corvette. You know, it's his car. He can do with it as he wishes. Yeah. As we all can do with our cars. We can either leave them bone stock as the manufacturer, or we can, you know, I personally, you know, I've got this project car that oh, I've yeah. been working oh, yeah. on for quite a while that nobody's going to get. And I don't care if anybody gets it. It's my car, right? We, we are going to post pictures of that on the oh, uh, podcast website. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that. Well, I, I, uh, I think that's, that's really cool. Okay. Uh, but I think that it's great that he's going to offer them to everyday folks hmm. where you don't have to put it on the high-dollar television auction. Right. Uh, right. If, if, you like, you know, if you like the car, the Buick Riviera you did or the Volkswagen or... Or whatever. Uh, I still haven't caught the show yet, uh, but I'm going to on Max, HBO Max. Well, I think he's ahead of the game. You know, going into this electrification 10 or 15 years from now, it'll be so cool to have an electric car that's a classic car, but it's electric. Yeah. You know, uh, where you can actually use it. Well, and it may come to that. Yeah. Where you can actually use it. Where you can actually use it, right. I mentioned last week, I think, with Oakwood Tire, that they have got a subscriber service that Mm -hmm. they belong to that allows them to have the same information as the vehicle bulletin, repair repair bulletins, et cetera, et cetera, that the OEMs have. Right. And that's because of an agreement that was made that you have got in your hand. Tell me a little bit about right. that. Right. Well, automakers repair shops have uh, struck up a new right-to-repair deal, which is just an updated commit commitment that started in 2014, which began as a uh, lawsuit by Mass- the state of Massachusetts. Right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, John Deere went through it. They just lost a huge battle. They wanted to prevent owners of tractors from repairing their own tractors, from having the ability to repair their own tractors. And that's big stuff. When you've got a $500,000 tractor 
that you know needs repairs you got to be able to have the equipment and be able to have the ability to service it while the corn is growing not two months from now so this is going but the main thing is bud that i want to bring up is this is very convenient that they updated this commitment but the reality is if it was all up to if you could only have your car serviced at the dealership the dealerships would be so overwhelmed they can barely keep up with their workload now. That's right. What if there weren't any independents? Now, there's people like my wife who takes her car always to our local Gainesville Toyota dealer who does a marvelous job. They're efficient and they're timely and they're fair. Me personally, with my car, I use an independent just because it's more convenient for me. So whatever you feel like doing, you ought to have the ability to do it. Once you buy the car, it's your car. And when it goes out of warranty. Especially. You know, it's, it's my issue with cars and warranties is I don't drive them enough miles to ever coincide with the warranty. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my 2019 truck has got 20,000 miles on it. Well, right. the warranty's already gone on it. So I had to get an extended warranty because there's things on that truck that were pointed out to me, like the video system or the audio systems and stuff that are in it and some of the electronics. That's not do-it-yourself stuff. Mm-hmm. So you you got to have the warranty. you got to have a repair shop that's got the information that you can have here. And, you know, I, I think it's important that this, you know, the repair shops can do the same things as the OEMs. Right. On automobiles. And, you know, these subscription services that the... They're not cheap. They're not cheap, right. They pay for those monthly or yearly uh, to keep them current. You got to keep them updated all the time. Okay, Tim, electric school buses are in the news again. Okay. Tell us about them. They have have more range now. Okay. 25% more range. Uh Uh-huh. The Bluebird school buses. Which is made right here in in Fort Valley, Georgia. Yep. Uh, they showed the uh, bus at a show in Reno, Nevada, mm-hmm. showcasing the evolution of zero-emission zero, zero offerings. Next Vision School Bus is part of a collaboration between Bluebird and Cummings Accelera unit. Features a 196-kilowatt battery. That's a 25% gain to Bluebird's current model. Okay. This gives the new version a range of up to 130 miles, or up enough to, to cover. Up to one unless it's cold out or, or extremely hot. hot. Yeah. yeah, and then you know that, and they're they're hoping that this will be able to to do a complete two a complete morning morning or, and afternoon run. Okay, on a single charge. On a single charge. Yeah. But you know what I read in between this article? Hmm. As as I was reading on, it said it's now capable of higher kilowatt speeds. Okay. Mm-hmm. So faster in, charging. While improving its vehicle-to-grid charging capacity, mm-hmm. capability. Vehicle-to-grid means, to me, you put it into the public charging system. Is uh, that what that means to you? No, I don't know. Well, I that's what I've got to find out, because I'm thinking that they're going to put in standalone units that might be hydrogen or something to actually charge these buses. Oh, really? Okay. Well, that, is that my homework? Well, that could be part of it. I'm, I'm just wondering... I've seen these at shows. Mm-hmm. I've seen these at, at Petit Le Mans where they bring in these diesel generators and they could bring in hydrogen, you know, powered uh, generators. Yeah. And charge the buses with those. Okay. So that doesn't hook you up to the public grid. 
Oh, I see. I see. So, so you're, you're, you're paying for it, you know. Uh huh. So we're not all paying for it right. to charge these things. It, it's kind of like when you go to a hotel and they've got a place to plug in. Mm-hmm. Everybody's paying to charge your car. Right. I'm not sure that's right. Yeah, I don't know about that. So anyway, you know, it's. Whew. We'll see. Well, they're going to be producing 5,000 electric school buses a year, you know, at Fort Valley, uh, Georgia, at the Bluebird Corporation. So, And Atlanta bought, what do we say, 25 buses yes, or something I like that? Went out school was, system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a kumbaya moment and all oh, that. But yeah. I think that when they get these and find out what's involved, it'll be a different story. Yeah. We yeah. would like to do a follow-up on that for well, sure. Well, I want, I want Bluebird to be successful, though. They're a Georgia oh, company. Oh, yeah. But, right. you know. Well, but they're following the same timeline as all the rest of us, too, on this. That is true. Mandates. Hey, Tim, time for some thank yous. Well, thank you, bud. Well, you're welcome. We're going <laughs> to thank you. We're going to thank Bill Wilson and Jacobs Media for uh, putting this, uh, this together for us every week like they do. Right. Uh, the great folks from Concept One Pulley Systems mm-hmm. and the uh, great folks from Year One, muscle car restoration folks, sure. experts. And I want to thank uh, Mark Otesco from, from, not full, from Lanier Technical College, uh, the automotive instructor, for coming in and and sharing uh, what's going on in the automotive shop. That that is something that is so important as we go into the future here with whatever kind of cars we're going to be, you know, flying or driving or electrifying or whatever. We've got to have people that can fix the things. Right. Unless they're just going to make throwaway cars like well, washers and dryers. Someone needs to learn how to do brake jobs. Okay. Because so, it don't matter how they run, but you got to get them we stopped. We got to stop. One, one way or another. Next week's guest, we think. Well, let me, let, me, uh, let me go to one other thing here before we get to next week's guest. Let's go. Uh, let's talk about our website. Okay. Okay. We now have a website here. It is called Bud's Garage Overdrive, mm-hmm. and you go to the usual website places, and we got a lot of photos on there. We've got videos. We've got blogs. Yeah. Uh, we've got things that we've never had on the show before, and uh, it's pretty interesting stuff. So you get a chance to check out Bud's Garage Over Bud's Garage Overdrive dot com. Okay. All right. And don't forget this terrestrial radio show. Sure. Which is also on all the popular podcast sites. That is called Bud's Garage, mm-hmm. and it's available on AM 550 FM 102.9 and live streamed at Access WDUN if you want to listen to the show live that we do every week. And then we sometimes include some of that into the podcast. Okay. So you can get a little bit of everything. It's potpourri. Uh, yeah. All right. Potpourri. Like a casserole. Mm-hmm. Of informative automotive buffoonery. Mm-hmm. Remember to keep between the ditches, shiny side up. We'll see you next week right here on Bud's Garage Overdrive, the podcast. I'll be listening. Have a great week. <laughs>